You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, in honor of Father's Day, Senior Minister Adam Hale brings us a message on the prodigal father. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Did you, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the day in which people may collect calls, that Father's Day was the uh, day that most more collect calls were made than any other day of the year. Now, in May, you have Memorial Day and Mother's Day, and May is the second highest air traffic uh, volume, uh, air travel volume of the year, December and then May. And so for Mother's Day, we fly clear across the world to see our moms, and we should. But on Father's Day, we would call Dad and then make him pay for the call. This morning, we're going to look at three stories that Jesus told, and they help us, and they, the stories that he told focus on lost things, um, but they also give us a great insight into what kind of father that we have as a heavenly father. Jesus told these three stories, a story of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a man who has two sons, and that story goes like this. All right, now we all know that what that story is, right? It's the story of the prodigal. All right, very good. Some of you know it's the prodigal son. You know how we know that's the story of the prodigal son? Because a long time ago, uh, someone went through the Bible and they, they saw that there was a need to be able to find things easier. And so you may, may or may not know this, but when the Bible was first written, it didn't have uh, section, you know, section dividers. It didn't have verses and chapters. And so somebody went in and put chapters in and somebody went in and put verses in. And then they thought, you know, what would be even better is if we had little headings to tell us what, what we were getting ready to read. So we'd be able to go back and find that. And so somebody went in and put a heading and it said the prodigal son. And so that's how we know that this is the story of the prodigal son because somebody put that when Paul was writing to the, to the churches all over, all over Europe and, and Asia, he didn't, he didn't put in the little headings that we see. You know, he didn't write greeting above that. You know, that. Somebody else did that. Those aren't inspired words. But we know this is the story of the prodigal son because somebody did that. Now, next question for you. Does anyone know what prodigal means? See, that's incredible to me, because just a minute ago, we all knew that that was the story of the prodigal son, right? We all recognized it, but we don't know what the word prodigal means. And so, if you're like me, you grew up in the church, and you probably thought prodigal means something like uh, wild and partying and rebellious and, and something like that, because that's what we see from the son. But it actually, prodigal means something, something very different. It means to give on a lavish scale. So prodigal means lavish. And so you could say that the son was, was lavish in his rebellion. He was lavish in his leaving home. But, but the most incredible thing about this story is that the, the, the thing that is most lavish, the person that is most lavish in this story is the father. His grace and his forgiveness and his mercy are far more lavish than anything else in the story. And so really this is a story of a prodigal father, not a prodigal son. And so here's what we read in the first few verses of Luke chapter 15, which is where we find the, these three stories. Start verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now I just want to stop there for a moment because that seems odd to me. It seems odd to me that the tax collectors and sinners, these are the, are the bad people, that they are the ones that gather around Jesus. 
It would, you would think it would be the opposite. You know, the bad people wouldn't want anything to do with Jesus. They'd want to be away from him. It would be the good people who would want to gather around Jesus. But that's not what we see here. We see that the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But then in verse 2, we see what the good people, the so-called good people are doing, the Pharisees. They're the teachers of the law. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's it. That's their accusation against Jesus. That's the only thing. They don't like Jesus, and that's all they can, they can uh, muster up to accuse him of is that this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. He eats with bad people. And so Jesus' response to this accusation is to tell these three short stories. The first one is a story about a lost sheep, and, and the shepherd, he's got a hundred sheep, and you all know the story, he's got a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, one of them gets lost, and so he leaves the 99, and he goes after, and he finds that lost sheep. Why? Because God is a finder and a seeker of lost things. The second story is a story of a woman who has ten coins, and she loses one coin, and so what does she do? She, she turns the house upside down looking for that coin, and she finds it in the last place that she looked because, right, that's where it's always at, right? When you lose something, you find it. It's always in the last place you look. Some of you will pick up on that in a minute. But, you know, that's what she does. She finds the coin. And then Jesus tells the story of a father who has two sons. And in this story, this youngest son, he has committed an epic fail, a monumental epic fail. And I'm going to tell you, one of my secret little pleasures is that I like to watch YouTube videos of uh, people that have these epic fails. Um, the videos were like the guy's skateboarding, and he's getting ready to do some trick, and he's like hot-dogging it and just showing off. And then he goes to do his trick, and he just eats a face full of pavement, like I laugh at those things, and I know like, it, it makes me kind of sadistic. I get it, but it's funny. At least it is to me. But there was nothing funny about what had happened in this story. This epic failure that this son had committed. There was nothing funny about it. And here's the thing, though. His, his failure, it's a familiar story, isn't it? Because how many people, maybe, maybe yourself included, how many people have grown up, or maybe you're still growing up, and you think this, and you think this now that, you know, I can't wait to leave this place. That was a common theme. I grew up in a small town. That was a common theme you'd hear people say all the time. I can't wait till I'm old enough to leave this place behind. I'm never coming back. How many, how many times do we hear people say that? Or, or I can't wait to get away from mom and dad. Then I don't have to follow their rules anymore. And when I get to where I'm going, all, all of my dreams are going to come true. And I'm going to live life the way that I want to live life. And I'm not going to have to listen to anybody. I'm not going to have to follow anybody's rules. I can do what I want to do on my terms when I want to do it. And that's what the son thought. And so he gets his share of the inheritance early. He heads off with his money and his friends. And for a little while, it's going pretty good. But it's ultimately a fail because the enemy conveniently crops out the disaster out of our plans. You know what it means to crop something? Like to, to crop a photograph. Anybody ever cropped a photograph before? Right, a couple people, like it's probably your Facebook profile picture. You, you cropped it because there was somebody else in the picture, but you were having a good hair day, and so you, like, you, had, to, you had to crop them out so you could use that as your picture. Every day's a good hair day for me, so I just want you to know that. Um, or maybe you've got a picture of you know, like an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, but you look really good in the picture, so you've got you to gotta cut them out of it. And so to get all of you in it, there's, a, there's like an awkward elbow or a hand or something in it, and you're like, you can tell somebody else is there. And so you just cropped them out. 
Isn't that what the enemy does to us, though? We make these great plans to, to get away, to live life, to chase dreams with no regard to, to anyone else's, uh, about anyone else's feelings or, or what it's going to do for them. And the enemy crops out all of the disaster out of our plan. And so what we've got to do in those situations, in those moments, is to ask God to give us the grace to zoom out so that we can see the 30,000-foot view, so that we can see the big picture, so that we can see what lies ahead before we dive in. So we need to zoom out before we dive in. But the son didn't do that. He didn't. He just dove headfirst in. And so he gets where he's going. And he's having the time of his life. He's, he's living life, and it's great. And then what happens? The money runs out. And when the money runs out, the friends run out. Isn't that how it usually goes? And then something happens that he hadn't planned on. A famine hits the land, and he hadn't planned on this. And so things go from, from bad to even worse. And all this plans that he had to live and chase dreams and all of these things have gone, and now he's in a world of hurt. So he goes and gets a job, probably a good idea. Gets a job, and he's working for a pig farmer, and it's so bad he's got no money. You know, the farmer's not paying him much. He's hungry. He's sitting there in the middle of the muck, and he's thinking to himself, these pigs have it better than I do. And then he says, you know what? Not even do the pigs have it better than I do. The servants back at my dad's house have it better than I do. You know, this is for all intents and purposes rock bottom. It's low when you're, when you're feeding pigs and you think, hey, you know, what they're eating looks pretty good. You're that hungry. I've never been that hungry to, to look at pig slop and think, okay, that looks pretty good right now. And I would guess that most of us have probably not been in that situation, but, but he's at that point. It's rock bottom. And then B, he's thinking, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get in this, this situation? But we understand that, don't we? Because we find ourselves in those places, in those situations, and we think to ourselves, how in the world did this happen to us? How did I get in this place? I had no idea that by choosing to do this, it would lead to this, or, or this would take the place of that, and it would cause me to want to go back home. But I want to go back home. How did I get here? And so when the sun's at rock bottom, he comes up with a good plan. The son says, first, I'm going to get up. And that's always the first thing to do, isn't it? It, it, it doesn't matter how far down we are, how far, how far gone we've gone. The first thing that we can always do is to get up, to stand up, because God will always give us the grace, no matter what situation we're in, no matter how far down we're in, in the mess, God will always give us the grace to stand up. And then he says, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to turn around. And I'm going to head back home. You know, that's, that's what repentance is all about. You know, that's a word that we use in church a lot, repentance. And a lot of times we don't understand what it means. But that's what, what this word is all about. is about turning around, about leaving less and heading for more. To say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this mess behind me. I want no more to do with it. I am, I'm heading back home. And so he decides he's going to stand up and turn around and go home. And he comes up with a speech on the way home. As he's walking home, he thinks, I need to, I need to be able to tell Dad something when I get there. And so he decides he's going to come up with this speech, and he comes up with it, and it's a good one. He says, when I get home, I'm going to talk to Dad, and this is what I'm going to say to him. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And that was true. 
And then he says, I'm, I'm going to tell Dad, Dad, I know that uh, I'm, I'm not ever getting back into the house. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that was true. He says, and because I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and I, I know I'm not getting back in the house, just make me like one of your hired men. Because that'll be better than what I've got right now. Just make me like one of your hired men. But what the son doesn't know is that this isn't the story of a prodigal son. This is the story of a prodigal father. And it's at this point in the story when something incredible happens. There's, there's something, a, a dynamic that changes in the story at this point because Jesus says, but when the father saw him a long way off. All right, so, so track with me here. The, the son has decided I'm going to stand up, I'm going to get up, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go home and I'm going home and I'm walking and I've got this speech, but when the father saw him a long way off. Do you realize what that means? Do you realize what it means that the father saw him a long way off? It means that the father never stopped watching for him. The father never, never pulled down the shades, never closed the shutters, never put a sign out in the middle of the yard that said, hey, don't even think about it. He never did that. In fact, he stood there watching the road. You know, the father was probably thinking to himself, you know what, he's making some foolish decisions right now. And the money's going to run out sooner or later. And he probably knew where his son was. He, he probably heard about all the bad decisions that his son was making. And he no doubt had heard about the famine. And he's thinking, you know, it's probably getting pretty tough out there. And one of these days, it's going to be tough enough that he's going he's to decide to come back home. And so just in case today is that day, I'm going to watch the road. You know, long before we ever turn our eyes toward God, He's watching for us. And He's just watching and waiting for that moment when we say, I've had enough of this. I'm done with this. I, I'm tired of this mess. I, I'm going back. I just want to go back home. And in the story it says that when He saw the Son, when the Father sees the Son, emotion just, just takes over. Can you imagine what, what that emotion was like for that Father? The, he's been waiting for what seems like an eternity and and he sees him, this, you know, finally he's, he sees his son coming down the road. And so he just runs out to him. Just takes off running. And that's a significant thing because in that day and age, men didn't run. Especially dignified men. They, they would not run in public. You, you just wouldn't do that. You know, they would wear um, these long outer garments and then they would have something on underneath an undergarment that would also be very long. And they'd have sandals on. And so you just didn't run in those things. They weren't made to run in. And so for him to run would mean that he would, have to, he would have to pull those garments up. He'd have to grab them kind of like this and just pull them up, and he, he would expose part of his leg. And that was a big cultural taboo because you just didn't expose any kind of skin in those days. It, it was, it was a ta cultural taboo. But he sees his son from a long way off, and his heart just takes over, and so he just takes off running. He pulls his, he pulls his pants legs up, and he's just running. Full sprint, just, just running as hard as he can. And the son, can you imagine what he thought? Can you imagine what the son's thinking as he's seeing this guy running toward him? This guy's running down the road and he says, who's that crazy guy running down the road? And he looks at him as, this guy, as the dad gets a little closer, he says, oh, that's my dad. 
I've never seen my dad run before. This is going to be way worse than I thought. He's not even going to wait for me to get to the house to crush me. Like he's going to stomp me in the ground before I ever even get close. This is going to be terrible. And the dad runs to him and he gets to him. And the son, you know, he's trying to reach for that, that speech he wrote. He's checking his pockets. Where's that speech at? I got I to gotta start talking before dad just starts pounding me. And he can't find that speech and Dad gets to him, opens his arms, smiles, and just grabs him and hugs him. You know, I just imagine he's swinging him around going, Son, it's you. It's really my son. You're back. It's you. He's looking at him and he's, he's you know, holding him back. I haven't seen you in so long. He's holding him back and he's, he's hugging his face and kissing him. And, and he's just so thrilled to see his son. It's you. It's really you. You were lost, but now you're found. You're dead, and now you're alive. It's really you. And the servants... You know, they've been watching this whole thing. They've been on the porch watching it, and they, they see the man run out there, and they see him grabbing this kid, and they don't know who it is, and so they run out there to see what's going on because they've never seen this man run either. And they get out there, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's back. And the dad's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, what, what are you looking at? Go get, go get a robe and put it on him. Go get a ring for his finger. Go get him some sandals. That fattened calf, yeah, kill it because we're going to have a party at our house tonight. Fire up the grill. Call the DJ. Call all the neighbors. We're going to have a celebration at our house tonight because this son of mine who was dead is now alive. This son of mine who was lost is now found. We're going to party tonight. Don't you all know that our God is a celebrating God? Our God is a celebrating God. It says in the stories that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He puts the sheep on his shoulders and he goes home. And then it says he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus amplifies, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And in the story of of the woman with the lost coin, it says, when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. In other words, celebrate with me. I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus again amplifies it because he doesn't want us to miss this. He says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing, there is celebration in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then there's the son who comes up the road covered in dirt and dust and mud and muck and yet the father can't help but embrace him and hug him and kiss him because our God is a celebrating God. I think for far too long we've let the rest of the world do all the partying. We've let the rest of the world do all the celebrating and yet they don't really have that much to celebrate. But if Christians, if you're a Christian, you have every reason to celebrate we should be the most happy people in the world we should be the most joyful people in all the world because we have a reason to celebrate at the risk of sounding like Joel Osteen and I know this is it's going on a podcast so I got to be careful with this but at the risk of sounding like Joel Osteen Christians we ought to smile more we really we really should we should smile more because we have every reason to celebrate and I get it life's tough sometimes we're in a struggle and it's not always easy but if we can't celebrate when people come from death to life then we are missing the heart of God but now 
I do think this. I think we need to understand the gospel so that we can celebrate. And I think when we understand the gospel fully, it gives us a reason to celebrate and we'll want to celebrate. So let me tell you what the gospel is, but first let me tell you what it's not. It's not that sin makes us bad people. The gospel is not that sin makes us bad people. It's actually, it's, it's far worse than that. And for a long time, I think that's what we thought, was that sin makes us bad, so I need to go to church and, and get good. I need to get a little religion so I can be better, so I, that I can be a better person. I, because that's what we all say, don't we? We just want to be good people. We want to be, be better people. But the gospel is not that sin makes us bad people. It's much worse than that. The problem is that according to Scripture is that sin makes us dead people. The result of sin makes us spiritually dormant. It makes us separated from our Heavenly Father. And so Christ didn't enter into humanity so that we might be better people. Christ didn't leave heaven and come to earth so that we might be good people. Christ took on all of humanity. He left the glory of heaven. Think about that for a moment. He left heaven. Like we all say, that's where we, you know, that's the end goal for all of us, right? We, we, when we die, we want to go to heaven, right? Like that's what everybody says. That's where everybody wants to go, and yet Christ left there. He left heaven. He took on all of humanity, took on human skin, so that in his perfection, he could die for us. He could die for our, our mess. Because we're sitting in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our muck, and he comes to die for us you know um, if we can't celebrate that then I don't know what else is worth celebrating that if we can't celebrate that God would love us so much that he would leave heaven and come to earth and rescue us from the mess that we're in and so because of that because because the gospel is that Christ died so that we might be living people not dead people that we might be living people Christ didn't die to make us good people he didn't die to make us better people he died so that we might be living people and so because that's the gospel we all have an incredible story to tell you know that everybody that's a Christian has an incredible story to tell because you were once dead and now you're alive and that's incredible that's a great story right like if somebody were to tell you uh, that they, they were dead and they, they were in the emergency room and they, they were dead on the table and all of a sudden they came back to life. We would listen to that story, wouldn't we? Because it intrigues us. It's a great story. But we have the same story. We were once dead and now we're alive. That's a great story. And so we got to tell those stories. we got to celebrate that story. But you know, I hear people all the time say they don't want to share their testimony. And they say, I don't have a good testimony. And when I hear people say that, and I've literally heard people say, I don't have a good testimony. You don't want to hear my testimony. It's not very good. I say, what? You don't have a good testimony. You're, you're kidding, right? And it's, and it's always the same thing. It's like, you know, somebody came to our church a long time ago, and they, they shared their testimony, and, and they were in prison, and they'd done all these horrible things to go to prison. And while they were in prison, they, they met Jesus. And, and while they were in prison, they got sober and they got clean. And while they were in prison, they, they memorized the Bible. And then they came to our church and they spoke, and everybody got saved. And it was just great. I don't have a good testimony. Well, I just want you to know, hey, if you've never been to prison, that's a good thing, okay? Like, we can celebrate that. That's a good thing. But secondly, our testimony isn't about what we've done. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we've done. Our testimony is that we couldn't do anything. That we, we couldn't do anything because we were spiritually dead and, and dead people can't help themselves. Our testimony is all about what, what Jesus did for us. That while we were dead in our sins, 
and could do nothing, he came and did everything for us. That he brought us from, from death to life. And that's an incredible story. And you have that story. And somebody needs to hear your story. That's the gospel. And I know for some that may seem like you, you may think I get it. But it sounds just too easy. You know, just the, to be brought back from, from death to life. From, from spiritual death to spiritual life. It just seems too easy. Like all you're saying is that we need to trust Jesus and follow him and repent. And, and that just seems too easy. If we just do that, it's too easy. But if you ever think it's too easy, then, then you need to understand this. This is what the older brother thought too. The older brother thought it was, was, was too easy. You know why? Because that's what he did. He's, he's the last one to the house every night. You know why? Because he's always the last one to the house. The, the older brother, he's the last one out of the fields every night. You know why? Because he's always the last one out of the fields. Because he's out there working it. He's earning it. He's doing whatever he thought was necessary to earn the love of his father. And so he's coming up from the fields and he hears. I love what, what the Bible says. It says, he heard the sound of music and dancing. And so he hears that, and he calls the servant over, and he says, Hey, what's going on? And the servant tells him, Hey, it's your brother. He's back. And the older brother says, You know, I, I kind of figured that would happen. I figured he'd run out of money at some point. But what's with all the music and dancing? Like, I don't understand that. What are we doing? And the servant says, Well, it's your dad. He's, he's flipped out. He's, he's, he's just invited the whole town. He's having us. He's throwing a party. He's, he's brought a DJ. I mean, there's music. They're dancing. They're all over the place. That, that fat calf, you know, yep, it's dead. He's, he's got it on the grill right now. They're having a party in there. And the older son says, what do you mean they're having a party? My brother who, who left, took all of my dad's money, spent all of our money, has, has insulted my dad, has taken our family name and run it through the mud, and he comes back and we're having a party for him? I've been here my whole life. I've been working my whole life for my dad. And, and I never even got a goat to celebrate with my friends. You go in there and you tell my dad, I'm not coming in there. And so you know what happens. For the second time in the story, the father comes out. Because the father comes out when we experience epic fails. When we experience monumental fails, the father comes out when we hit our rock bottom. But then the Father also comes out when we think it's because of our good works that we have earned a place in His house. And He says to His son, to the oldest son, Son, what are you doing? You've always been with me. Everything that I've had is yours. It's always been yours. You could have had anything you ever wanted at any time. That fattened calf, if you wanted it, it you could have had it yesterday. You could have had it the day before or that or the day before that. It was always yours. You could have had it, but you never would and you never could because you thought you were trying to earn my love and you didn't realize that you already had a place in my house. And it's not because of how hard you work. It's because of how much I love you. But this brother of yours... This brother of yours, he was, he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. So we need to celebrate this. Will, will you please come into the house and celebrate with me? So if we ever think that it's too easy, that having a party thrown for us is too easy, that getting a robe put on us is too easy, that a ring for our finger is too easy, then we're missing the most important part of this story. And it's this, the most important thing about this story is that this story is, is traveling over the lips of the Son of God. 
And if we ever think that forgiveness is too easy, that grace is too easy, that somehow because we got up and we turned around and we came home, that, that it was too easy, then we need to remember that this story is being told by the Son of God who left heaven, who laid aside His glory, who took on human skin, born into history, literally in the muck of a manger, so that in His perfection He could take our sins. And so that He might be, be buried and raised back to life so that He could offer us the gift of eternal life. It's not too easy. It cost Jesus everything. But He paid in full. The Scripture says that this is how God demonstrates His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This morning we might say that while we were still a long ways off, that while we were still a long ways off, Christ died for us. Maybe this morning you're hearing all of this and you're saying, that's not some story from the Bible. That's not just a story that Jesus told. That's my story. That's my story of, of my failure and how I ended up somewhere that I never thought I would. And I just want to get back in the house. I just want to, want to turn around and go home. The good news for you is that this isn't a story about you. And it's not the story about a son. It's a story about a of a heavenly father of a prodigal father who loves you who's watching the road and he's waiting for you and he's ready to throw a party and so this morning we're going to offer a time of invitation a time to respond to to what whatever it is that god may be may be putting on your heart and maybe this is the the moment that you need to say yeah i'm tired of the mess that i've been living in and it's time for me to stand up and to turn around and to go home. And if that's you this morning, we, we would welcome you with open arms. Just like the Father in heaven does, we want to we mirror that on earth. And so we'll welcome you with open arms. Maybe today is the day that you say for the first time, I need to be in the house. I need to be, I need to be a son or a daughter. And so this morning, you, you make the decision to commit your life to Christ, to, to identify with Him through the death, burial, and resurrection, through baptism. And if that's you this morning, then we, we, again, we want to be just like the Father in heaven and the Father in this story and open our arms wide and embrace you. Whatever it is this morning that you're dealing with, that you might be struggling with, know that the Father is watching the road and He's waiting for you. So we're going to pray and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for this, this story that we see that Jesus told. And Father, we know it's just a story. But for so many people, it's a true story. That we've, we've failed miserably. That we've ended up somewhere we never thought we would be. And yet, when we decided to turn around and come back home, you were waiting for us. Father, my prayer this morning is that if there's anyone here this morning who needs to come back home, that they would stand up and turn around from their sin and that they would come home. Father, we know that you're watching the road. It's in 